Hey everyone, what's up? It's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 229. Now, bug out bags are a topic that I've covered a lot of times on our show, but I'm always interested in getting perspectives from other experts out there to see how they've adjusted their own survival gear plans based upon their own personal backgrounds, training, and experiences. Well, a former CIA operative friend of mine, Jason Hansen, just released a new book on how he was trained to plan and use a bug out bag, backpack, and other bags for an emergency evacuation if he were to face an instant crisis in one of the danger zones that he was operating in. Now, his secret spy advice is coming right up, but first, don't forget to grab this week's free show notes, including a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the points that Jason and I discussed today. Now, all you need to do is head on over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 229 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's get started. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hopefully by now you've taken part in one of our online survival workshops where we talk about the importance of having your own personal go bag filled with the items that you and your family are going to need to survive a short-term crisis or disaster. Now, hopefully also, you're taking that advice and at least beginning to assemble the gear and supplies that you'll need and loading them into a backpack that's designed for facing the kind of threats that you'll encounter during the crisis. Now, as a combat veteran, the topic of bug-out bags is one that's near and dear to my heart, and I'm always in search of other experts' opinions on how their experiences and backgrounds have shaped their own philosophies on what types of gear and plans they've personally put in place for a forced evacuation scenario. Now, in the past, we've had all kinds of survival trainers on our show to talk about their preps from full-time survival experts and trainers and people from television to military contractors, but never from the source that we're about to go into today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor from Modern Combat Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today to give us the CIA perspective on bug-out bags and their gear, is former CIA operative Jason Hansen. Jason, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Always good to have you on. I mean, you've been a busy guy, man. You've got lots of stuff going on out there. And uh, and the, this uh, this topic is one that you've really started to dig into, so I'm excited to, to kind of get your information out there. Now, uh, listen, everybody, Jason, if you don't already know, is a former police officer who set his sights toward the Central Intelligence Agency, spending nearly a decade in the CIA, earning two exceptional performance awards, and distinguishing himself among the other CIA ops personnel. Now, leaving the CIA to spend more time with his family, Jason continued his research and his work using the covert skills that he developed in order to train others in how to be better prepared for everything that they might need to protect themselves against for themselves and those they love in a violent criminal attack, to surviving times of civil unrest and disaster and martial law. Jason's been featured on television Shark Tank, where he won a deal for bringing his skills and his spy gear to a wider market. And his book, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, is a bestseller that should be in everyone's library to help you master escape and evasion tactics for those worst-case scenarios. Now, Jason also has a new book out called The Escape Bag Blueprint, 37 Items You Must Have to Survive a Crisis, which is, of course, the reason why we're picking his brain on this topic today. Now, you can learn more about Jason and his work over at his website at www spysurvivaltraining.com. All right, Jason, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, I'm a big believer that 
the most critical component of any sort of a of a good evacuation plan and a good bug out bag system is the bug out bag itself. And, you know, that comes out of real world experience of being a combat veteran and being a forward observer and light, light, um, uh, long range reconnaissance in the 10th Mountain Division, where we literally have traveled thousands of miles. That's not an exaggeration. Thousands of miles with a military backpack. And um, so I, I know I know how difficult it can be and how, how far out of the range of what most people might expect it to be, it might be. But the bag is always the most critical component of it. Um, so what I, that's kind of where I want to start. So in your own planning, regardless of what people might ha- already have for their bug out bag or whatever, what would you say are like the most common uh, elements, what, like the foundational elements that people need to be looking at in a good bug out bag um, from a covert operative perspective? Sure. So, yeah, I'm going to give you, obviously, the intelligence operative perspective. So, you know, we call it operations bag. So operations bag, you know, kind of a bug out bag, the same thing. And in the intelligence world, the most important thing is that it has to blend in and make sense for whatever your cover story is. So if you're posing as a businessman, your ops bag may be a very fancy leather briefcase or one of those, you know, $500 fancy leather bags. If you are out and about in a place like Iraq or Afghanistan, you may have a typical, you know, military type backpack, uh, et cetera. You know, if you're a bike messenger posing as a bike messenger, it's got to be a bike messenger bag. Now, the secret there is it's got to be a quality bag. So hypothetically, let's just say somewhere in the United States, there was a place you would go and they have a factory and they have people, excuse me, dedicated to making these types of bags to match whatever your cover story is. So they triple stitch these bags. You know, it may look like a regular, you know, cheap bag you bought at Walmart, a cheap messenger bag, but it's really triple stitch. It's really waterproof. You know, this thing could take a beating. So, you know, not as important, obviously, if you're not in the, in the intelligence business, but you've got to make sure the bag is quality. It can withstand anything and you need to make sure it matches your cover. Yeah. And you see a lot. Of, I mean, there's look. I, I know more and more people are finally, I say finally here, because it's not just preppers now that are truly putting together their survival kits and their go bags. People, we've had a, a year of horrifying uh, different disasters from wildfires and hurricanes and everything. I don't see it letting up anytime soon. So more of the public is starting to get this. You can even now find like, you know, go bags, if you will, or survival kits at Walmart for, of all places. But, but again, you know, what do you expect for quality of Walmart? Well, I've, bought from Walmart. I know what I get from quality, whether it's pajamas or whatever, it's not the same. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, you don't want to find out about that quality not being there when you are a couple miles down the road and this thing is falling apart at the seams and, uh, and that thing. So I wanted to hear a little bit more also, like, um, what's the purpose there and why would it be a, a, a messenger bag? Like, what's the purpose of it being kind of fitting into what your projection is, I guess, on a, on a regular basis, if you're a businessman or whatever it is, what's, what's your um, perspective? And I mean, I mean, it, it seems to fall right in line with the CIA perspective, but just kind of want to get it from your own words. Well, yeah, let, let me dive a little deeper because in the intelligence business, we have three different bags that we rely on. So that these, uh, there's the uh, ops bag, the operations bag, and that gets you to your next bag. Um, the next bag is called the RTB bag or the return to base bag. And then if things really get bad, we have an evac bag, which is an evacuation bag, which means you're not necessarily going back to base. You may be hunkering down under a bridge for a week. You may be hunkering down in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So the ops bag is not a gigantic 50-pound pack that you're going to throw on your back and be humping through the mountains. 
It is simply walking around, you know, your everyday life. You know, if you go to work and you've got your laptop bag, that could be your bag when you sit at work into your desk. It's got the things you need to survive temporarily to get you to that return of base bag, which is going to have a lot more stuff, which is, is the more traditional bug out bag with a ton of food, a ton of water, you know, knives, guns, et cetera, where the ops bag is, is smaller really to get you to point A to point B. Gotcha. Okay. Well, one of the things that's often debated for, for preppers and people who are, are preparing for an emergency in what to pack inside of their bag is food. Like it's, and I have a video, I can tell you this from experience. I have a video that I put out years ago on YouTube about sur- what survival food to put in your bug out bag. And my, and my opinion has changed since then, but I can tell you, I have every, you know, 13 year old, either true 13 year old in age or 13 year old mentality that gets on there and a bunch of haters that want to debate this. So it's a hotly t- debated topic about what kind of food you should be putting away inside of your, your evacuation bag there. So, so from your perspective, um, on what type of food you would put in there and then how much, what are your thoughts from that perspective of the CIA bug out bag? Sure. So if it's in my ops bag, it's obviously just going to be maybe a day's worth of food. It's not going to be as many as my return to base bag. Um, but I'm going to have a variety of things. So I'm going to have some freeze dried food. You know, a lot of companies make the, you know, freeze dried type of stuff. Um, I'm also going to have some stuff from the number 10 cans. So number 10 cans we know can last 25, 30 years. You can have potato flakes. You can have rice. You can have flour, all types of stuff. Now, I'm obviously not carrying around a number 10 can. So find a smaller package that, you know, pour it into, um, again, a Ziploc bag or whatever. Now, that's not going to last 25 years once you do that, but I rotate it out. So I maybe have a Ziploc bag or maybe a small plastic container of that food. And then I'll throw in some of those bars, which, you know, the, the huge weightlifter guys carry. So some of those bars that are meal replacement bars. But, you know, I'm going to go back to saying I replace it. I don't throw my stuff in my ops bag and never look at it. Uh, because in the intelligence business, your mission is always changing, meaning one day you may be here, one day you may be doing this. So one thing that I highly recommend is don't just build your ops bag and then throw it in your basement or take it to work and never open it for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. We obviously change, times change. So look in it, you know, has a water pouch exploded? Do you need to eat that meal replacement bar? So keep up on your stuff. But those are that's a few of the food things that I have in mind. You know, you bring up a really good point that we've never covered before. Um, and I, and I know, like, my little town went through a deadly disaster. We had a massive flood. Um, it was almost, it was like a 45 foot wall of water that came through and washed people, houses, I mean, everything away. And I remember in working with the disaster teams after that and providing help at some of the aid stations and things like that. You know, you're talking about how in the CIA, you never know, like, your, your, your mission is always changing. So you might be in one place and all of a sudden you get an order, hey, we're moving out. We're going to be in, in this location. Same with military too, right? So you never know where you're going to be and what resources you're going to need for that. So some people listening might think, well, I'm not in the CIA and I'm not in the military. But, but you bring up a really good point because I can tell you of being at different aid stations, whether it's Red Cross or FEMA, that what happens a lot is like we, we, um, we don't have, we don't have any more space here. We're moving half of you over to this location. And so there may have been food at that one location and you might look at it and say, ah, you know what? I don't want chicken noodle soup from the local diner. You know, it's like, but I've got all, I have my stuff in my bug out bag. So I'm going to eat these bars and I'm not, I'm going to, because they'll taste better than that chicken soup or whatever, you know, all of a sudden you get the order. 
Now you're on a bus going somewhere to another safety location and they don't have food there yet. So now you just ate your bars and now it's like, well, what do you do? Do you go around begging for food from other people or, or whatever? So there's, you know, I know we talk about these CIA and military things sometimes, but there is a lot of overlap. If people really think about it or if they've ever really experienced or even just seen stories about what really truly happens before dur- or during and after an actual disaster. So I think it's I mean, just you brought up a point that I, I don't think we've ever really covered before. Yeah, no, I, what, one of the things you said that I think it was important, too, is, you know, I know you've gone through it and so have I in training where most people never experience several days without food. And, you know, most of us are incredibly blessed. We live here in America. You know, we don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. Um, but I have gone in several days without food. I know how it feels. I know how unpleasant it is. On the flip side, I also know that you can still survive and it's not going to kill you. So, yeah, in a crisis situation, your chicken soup examples, I save all my food and I'll eat anything else if it's there for me because that food is for the emergency. And since you don't know where you're going to end up, I mean, we just had the wildfires in California, people having to evacuate. They didn't know where they were going to be. So life is crazy. I mean, even though I still no longer work for the agency, I still live the same lifestyle, meaning I still have my ops bag. I still have a basement. I have a year's supply of food for me and my family. I've got bins, so bins that I can easily throw into the back of my car if we need them. So, again, even though I'm not living it, I'm still as prepared as ever, and I personally have weathered some big storms because of it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, listen, everybody, we're talking with Jason Hansen of SpySurvivalTraining.com about a CIA perspective on putting together your bug-out bag for facing a disaster or crisis. We've got a lot more to get up to, including finding and packing the number one survival item that you'll need to make it to your destination safely, avoiding the threat of looters, beggars, and society's wolves during hard times, and defending you and your loved ones from human predators when avoidance isn't an option. All that and more coming right up. But first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Jason Hansen of SpySurvivalTraining.com, talking about lessons he's learned in his work for the CIA on how to assemble a bug-out bag for facing any disaster or crisis. Now, we've got a lot more to get into, so let's go ahead and jump back into our interview now. 
Hey, Jason, so, so water is obviously one of, it's one of the things you can't do without. We've got to have water, but it's, it's also easily one of the biggest challenges you might have during a disaster because, you know, uh, whether it's the infrastructure has gone down, there's no clean water available in times where, um, I can tell you just from having going through like a flood, like a, a, a flood, sewage is everywhere. Like everything is contaminated and the stuff that comes out of your water tap might no longer be uh, drinkable, um, especially if you're if you're on the run. If you're having to evacuate somewhere, water resources can be really uh, scarce. So, what do you recommend in carrying in your in your evacuation bag in order to provide clean drinking water for you and your family while evacuating on your way to your to your Plan B safety retreat? Well, because water is so important, and you just mentioned how much it is, I recommend at least having three different ways to filter water. It is just is way too important to obviously have one, but so important you need to have more than a backup. And the beauty of water filters these days is they're so tiny, they take up virtually no space. So, for instance, my main water filter is a fancier one. It costs me $100, and it can filter hundreds of gallons of water. So that's my go-to water filter. If, heaven forbid, something happens to that and it breaks down, then I have one of those straw-type filters that can still filter a lot of water. If something happens to my straw filter, I have the powder that the military uses and government uses called chlorflock. And that is just a powder. It can only clean up to eight gallons of water. So it's for extreme emergency uses. But I've got that line where I've got three different options to take care of me and my family in a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole like two is one and one is none. Right. Yeah. So that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. And exactly. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is, um, you know, I know a lot of people think that they're just going to store like water bottles in their bug out bag, but you're so right because I mean, when that's gone, if you don't have a way to capture, I mean, you could reuse those bottles, but if you don't have a way to make it clean, it doesn't do you any bit of good. So yeah, it's awesome. Um, of course, yeah, let I can't. Actually, let me jump in here and give one tip. Yeah. No, as you say, I, I was going to jump in and give one more thing I have in my bag, uh-huh. and it's not something most people have, but a giant syringe. So one of the, not a syringe for shots, but one of those giant syringes where you can obviously suck up because if things got so bad where you found a puddle and you couldn't get your straw down in there or you maybe you couldn't get your face down in there, you can stick a syringe, suck out that water, put in your water bottle and then filter from there. Yeah. So that is obviously dire circumstances, but get one of those giant syringes. High speed. That's a MacGyver thing, man. So a syringe, a chocolate bar and a paper clip. You can you can you can find and and filter any water. Um, listen, um, look, your with your background, I can't not ask you about escape and evasion gear. All right, since this is what most people think about when it comes to like CA operations and, and their perspective on bugging out. So, um, but I mean, I think escape and evasion gear really is important because well, there are people out there. I mean, look, there's going to be gangs and looters and other nefarious knuckleheads that are that really like. Now they, they, they take advantage of people during hard times. And so they look, they look for victims out there. So obviously we don't want to get into a confrontation if we can, but you know, there might be people that are tracking you. There might be people that are looking out for, okay, who has supplies that I would need? So what pieces of escape and evasion equipment would you include in your bag for the purposes of avoiding a run in with these types of people? Sure. So yeah, I'll talk about what I keep to avoid a run-in, and then if, heaven forbid, somebody did kidnap me, if the worst-case scenario happened, I'll talk about the small pieces of gear I use. Uh, but for escape and evasion, I mean, it's it's the simple answer. It's the gun. You've got to have a gun. 
Obviously, I want to avoid a confrontation. I have had to draw my gun on more than one occasion. Um, I've never had to shoot anybody, and I hope I don't. But you've got to have that gun. I always have it on my person because, obviously, I want to be able to draw it quick. I do have a backup in my bag. Uh, so, for instance, I'm a 1911 guy. I might have a 1911 on my hip, and then I might have a Sig P250 or a Walther Cree, a smaller gun, in my bag that doesn't weigh as much. So I've always got that to get me out of bad situations. Now, if, as I said, I did get kidnapped, I have an escape and evasion belt. And inside that belt, I've got some handcuff keys. I've got a lockpick set. I have a bobby pin and hair barrette for escaping handcuffs. Um, I've got paracord on me. I've got a little razor blade, you know, one of the small tiny ones. Um, and then in my bag itself, I have a backup of all of those. So I definitely want it on my person, but I have the backup just in case, just for some crazy who knows what situation. Uh, but probably, you know, the smartest thing you can do is blend in with your surroundings. So that doesn't always mean the gray man. I mean, the gray man technique is great. And, hey, you know, blend in. Don't draw a lot of attention. But let's say everybody is rioting and looting. Maybe you should pick up a bottle and look like a rider and looter. Because if you're just trying to mind your own business, walking like the gray man, it's not going to make you blend in. So there are certain occasions, and I'm a huge proponent of the gray man at certain times, but at other times, become the enemy. Meaning if I've got to get through a huge crowd and there are a bunch of hippie liberals who are throwing Molotov cocktails, for that 30 seconds or that two minutes it takes me to get through that crowd, I will be a hippie liberal. Thankfully, only two seconds. So do what you got to do to blend in, get out of there so you don't have to throw punches, so you don't have to do shots fired, so you don't have to have any kind of confrontation. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that makes total sense for people. And that's a mind shift um, for, for a lot of people to try and think like most people like try and like isolate what you know, who they are and what they're projecting out to other people. And, you know, but for the purposes of you might have to like, change identities, if you will, not put on a. Um, you know, a, a Cheech and Chong mustache disguise like behind behind the car or whatever to try and find your way out of there. But sometimes the actions are what are what camouflage you out of there. So and you brought up a whole bunch of uh, different tools there. And a lot of people might think about, well, well, why would I need, you know, handcuff escape keys and things like that? It's a disaster for crying out loud. Like, what are the what are the reasons? I mean, you, you went down a whole list of different things there. Um can you educate people a little bit on like why those things might be necessary for people like that are, you know, whatever during that kind of a crisis? Sure. So let's talk about handcuffs. Handcuffs yeah. is more common overseas. I'll be first to admit that. So there's a lot of corrupt police overseas. Not that there's bad cops here, but you're less likely to run into it. Where overseas, especially if you go to Mexico, certain places in Europe, I run into it and I've had to bribe my way out of the police. So that's what you need handcuffs for, the bobby pin and the hairbreadth to get out of those. The other stuff, you know, paracord. Paracord obviously can be used to tie stuff up, but you can cut through zip ties. You can cut through duct tape. You can cut through rope. And that's what these gang members are going to use. They're going to get some zip ties and zip tie you up. They're going to get some rope and rope, uh, you know, tie you up. So that's why you want to have those items. And they don't take up much space. I mean, they weigh next to nothing. A little paracord, um, even a tiny razor blade, uh, you know, takes no space. And I keep them in my belt. So like everything else, you know, I prepare and I hope it never, ever happens, but I have peace of mind because I know my bag has this stuff that I can take care of it if it does happen. Yeah. Jason, let's talk about weapons a little bit more. So you talked about some of the like the firearms that you have on you. But I mean, obviously, you want to avoid a confrontation if you possibly can. But what are some of the things that you that you have for this type of a scenario, like you're evacuating from a disaster or a crisis? Um, but 
there are people that are wandering around there and they're, you know, the predatory wolves are out there in our society. And if you do come across somebody uh, and, and do come in or run in, uh, run in, obviously a weapon is, is a, is a great equalizer, right? It can help you really get out of those tough spots. So can you kind of give us a rundown of what you do use for personal protection when it comes to these types of scenarios? Yeah. And again, this is a, this is a, I would say gray area, but this is an area that depends on a case by case scenario. So, as I said before, you know, there are certain times you want to be the gray man. There are certain times you want to blend in. Um, you know, one of my buddies, I, I love how he said he's a former CIA officer. He says, we're chameleons, meaning we have to blend into whatever situation. And this guy told me a great story once where he's recruiting a terrorist. So this terrorist was going to help the United States government. The reason we were recruiting him, he was a low-level guy, and he was trying to get up the chain to where the head terrorist was. So I remember him telling me when he was recruiting this terrorist, like, you know, I'm his best friend. We act like, you know, we're buddies and little does he know that I'd love to slit his throat because he's a terrorist piece of crap. But he was able to be a chameleon at that time. So, again, I kind of got off tangent, but going back to guns, there are certain times where I'm going to have my 1911 concealed or my Sig P226 concealed if maybe there's not craziness happening. Maybe I don't see somebody, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails. I'm just trying to move and there's no real threats, um, even though, you know, people are wandering the streets. But if I see craziness, I'm the guy, and this is, again, my own personal opinion, where I'm going to have my 1911 wide open. If I've got my AR in the car, I will sling my AR and walk down the streets. Now, I live in a gun-friendly state of Utah where I could do that anyway. I can walk around with my AR on my back or slung any day. I can walk around with my 1911 on my hip in the grocery store, and people where I live do it all the time. So there are certain times where you want to blend in, but there's certain times where if you see a gang, I want that gang to know that I've got a, you know, AR-15 on me and they should go pick on everybody else who has nothing. So I like the AR. I like 1911s. I mean, I'm, I'm a gun junkie. I got more guns that you can shake a stick at and I do rotate them. So I might be carrying my 1911. It might be a Walther Creed. It may be a Sig P250. It may be a Smith and Wesson M&P. Um, the only thing I don't carry, and I know it's going to be blasphemy to most people listening to this is Glocks. <laughs> no, <Just> because <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, that's, that's, Listen, I, in my past life, that's what I used. You know, I had a Glock 19, a Glock 17, but I hate the trigger and I don't like the pointability. I love the 1911 type of grip style. So I own Glocks, but I just don't carry them anymore. It's going to be some other type of gun that I just mentioned. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. That's a good rundown. I appreciate the, uh, the arsenal inventory there. Awesome. Well, listen, everybody. Um, Look, I love getting different perspectives on this topic, and uh, there there's definitely some things in here that would make you kind of reassess your inventory of what you're what you're currently carrying inside of your bug out bag. So go back through this and go ahead and check out the cheat sheet as well that you'll be able to get with uh, with this podcast. You'll get be able to get the transcription as well as the cheat sheet, and uh, really kind of take a look at your own list of what you've got packed away and see what you need to prune away or add to based upon some of the stuff that we went over and definitely go check out uh, Jason's new book. He's uh, he's talks all about his escape bag and as well as his other bags as well. He's got a bunch of stuff coming out on this topic. You can go find it over at www.spysurvivaltraining.com. And until our next modern combat survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. 
You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.